Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. It is officially the start of Christmas. You have permission uh, to go home immediately after the service and erect your Christmas tree. You have permission to dust off old Mariah Carey or Michael Bublé's CDs and start to play Christmas carols, even though the mall has probably been doing that since around about July. (laughs) Christmas time is here. And as we begin to think about and move toward this great celebration of Christmas... I think it's worthwhile, even for us grown-ups, maybe even especially for us grown-ups, it's worthwhile uh, to reintroduce ourselves to the great story of Christmas. Now, to my mind, Luke tells the story best. So come with me in your Bibles to the very first chapter of Luke's Gospel, uh, from which we'll begin our year-end sermon series by now reading Luke 1, verses 26 through to 35. Luke 1, from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, here in this passage, we find one of the most stupendous aspects of the Christmas story, and indeed, one of the most stupendous aspects of the Christian faith. It's to do with something that we commonly call the virgin birth. Really, though, the wonder and the miracle of this occurs here at the point of Jesus' miraculous conception. The birth of Jesus 
seemed to be a pretty straightforward natural birth, albeit in an odd and unfitting setting, the manger of Bethlehem. But it was the way that this Bethlehem baby was conceived that was so surprising and so supernatural. Now here is the crux of it. Jesus was born of a human mother without any human father. As John puts it, the word became flesh. That is the doctrine of the incarnation. The word became flesh, and he did so being uniquely conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to note here that Luke, the man who wrote these words, was no gullible, empty-headed mystic. Right at the beginning of chapter 1, in uh, in verse 3, he writes, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I love the way that Luke puts it there. It seemed good to me to write an orderly account. Luke is a details guy. He'd be in charge of health and safety in the church. He's not interested in the fanciful. There are many who are but he's not one of them. He is not interested in the fanciful. He's interested in the factual. His gospel is the product of careful investigation. Eyewitness accounts have been gathered and they have been robustly scrutinized and cross-examined, looking for discrepancies, looking for inconsistencies. Luke is no lightweight. He is a reliable authority. Now, Luke, by the way, he's also a doctor. And for that matter, he's an adult. So he knows how babies are ordinarily conceived, right? And I think that it's noteworthy that this is the man. This is the man that we have here reporting this staggering truth claim of a virgin's uh, conception as fact, so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And Luke is not alone in this. There isn't a sense among the authors of Scripture that the virgin birth is myth or fable. On the contrary, there is an unflinchingly united front in the presentation of Scripture of the virgin birth as fact. Nevertheless, uh, for around 2,000 years, there have been those hanging around the church who have denied the virgin birth as fact. And I think a part of the reason for this is this underlying belief that what we really need to do is to take all of the parts of the biblical narrative which are more difficult for us and for others to comprehend with a natural mind. And we need to uh, reduce them in our presentation to being some kind of allegory, 
so as to be able to offer to our friends and neighbours a, uh, a more believable version of the Christian message. Now, uh, there's at least one problem with doing that uh, in this particular case. Uh, this, the virgin birth, is what we call a close-handed theological issue or primary Christian doctrine. There are some issues which we can disagree about and we can debate and we can still remain Christian brothers and sisters. We'll call those open-hand theological issues or matters of secondary importance. But this particular issue is so crucial to the integrity of the gospel that if you exclude it or if you deny it, you no longer have a gospel that is effective to save sinners and you can't really call yourself a Christian. Now, why is the virgin birth so important? The virgin birth means that Jesus was not born into sin. The virgin birth means that Jesus did not have a sin nature. That's important. Come with me over to Romans 5, Romans 5, and look with me to verse 12. Paul writes this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So it would seem that the sin nature, the Adamic nature, it spreads or is passed down from one generation to the next generation through the Father. And anyone born with a sin nature is by nature a sinner and therefore incapable of being a spotless, unblemished Sacrifice for sins. The virgin birth was God's way of entering into humanity as he needed to, to position himself to die in our place for our sins, while necessarily circumventing the transmission of the sin nature, thus allowing the eternal God to take form, as Paul puts it in Philippians in appearance as a man. So, uh, no virgin birth. If it turned out that this was all allegory or fable and Jesus is just the natural product of an ordinary sexual relationship between two fallen descendants of Adam, then he can't die on the cross for your sins because he needed to die on the cross for his do you see why this is in the primary doctrinal issue category? Yeah. Now, the problem, listen to this, the problem that I can see with the tampering and the amending of our message, removing the parts which are utterly crucial but difficult to accept in order to suit the perceived sensibilities and tastes of our neighbours, 
is that we might end up with a message that is full of worldly ethics but empty of divine wonder and empty of the Spirit's power and is totally impotent to meet our true human need. Now, one of the reasons why this is so fantastical and so hard to believe is that these sorts of conceptions and births aren't particularly common, are they? In fact, of all of the innumerable conceptions and births in human history, this is truly one of a kind. If these kinds of conceptions were taking place uh, left and right, uh, this really wouldn't have much of an impact, would it? It would just be believable and ho-hum. And that's a part of the rationale and the plan here. This was a completely unique conception for a completely unique birth of a completely unique child who would perform a completely unique work which he was completely uniquely able to perform. And in these um, supernatural and phenomenal circumstances around his birth, we're supposed to see something of the specialness of Christ. Now, let's just spend a few moments uh, looking over our text. If you followed me over to Romans or over to Isaiah, just come with me back to Luke 1, remembering our text is verse uh, 26 through to 35. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of the, the uh, aforementioned pregnancy of Elizabeth, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Sent from God. This is the most foundational truth about Christmas. It is from God. It is from God. It started with God. It came from God. The baby Jesus was conceived by the power of God. The divine son was sent by God to bring a salvation that is from God to all who would believe in his name, to reveal the righteousness of God that is to be received by faith. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So Christmas uh, is about something that God initiated uh, with the sending of angels. Again, underscoring the specialness of this event. We really shouldn't be ho-hum about this story. It's a great story. Just because some of us have heard it uh, maybe 50 or 60 times, it doesn't mean that uh, we should be indifferent about uh, its impact. Let's receive it with uh, childlike wonder and awe uh, this year. Verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. 
She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary was chosen by God to miraculously conceive and bear a son and to call him Jesus. Now, coming back to the specialness of Jesus, I just want to spend the final five minutes looking at uh, verse 32 and 33, which tells us something of what makes this uniquely conceived child so special and also uh, why his birth is such a powerfully hopeful event. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was born a king. And he will come again as a king. And upon his return, he will usher in his kingdom in fullness. He will be king over his people for eternity. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no democracy once Christ returns. Now, don't get me wrong. I value democracy. I don't think it's perfect or insusceptible to issues or to corruption. Uh, But as systems of government go, it's probably about the best that we can do. But the reason for a system like democracy is that our leadership is not divine. Our leaders are fallen, like our world. And democracy, as a system, offers us some protection against the corruptions of power. And we need that. We look around the world and we look throughout history to see monarchies that have or have had Absolute despots in power, and it's awful, it's oppressive, and it's corrupt. And for that reason, uh, the thought and the prospect of living under a supremely powerful king might be unattractive to us, because in this age and in this world, uh, the only examples of powerful kings available to us are finite and sinful, corrupted like our world. If only there were an incorruptible king. If only there were an incorruptible king. If only there was a king who was unlimited in his wisdom, unrivaled in his power, everlasting in his lifespan, overflowing in goodness, totally driven by a concern for the glory of his own name 
and by his own benevolent and perfect love for his subjects. Then, to be ruled by this king would trump every other form of government. That is why we pray, don't we? Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Because the government that we have now can only be, at its very best, the best that we can do for now. But the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was born a king. And he is a coming king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There is no successor or succession plan for the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. And there's no need for one. He is the eternal way, truth, and life. Therefore, salvation and every promise obtained through him are guaranteed forever by him. The message of Christmas is this. There is an amnesty. There is an amnesty for all of us who have rejected his kingship up until now. Today, you can receive him. You can believe in his name and you can turn from your sins. And if you do, you will not perish along with this world when it perishes. You will be granted eternal life. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.